Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. By the time that we are done here today, this will either have been the best or the worst sermon that you've heard all decade. <laughs> so I'm dealing with a lot of pressure right now. Um, as a lot of you know, my wife Rebecca and I, we have two little boys at home. Judah is two, going on 16. And uh, Cal is seven months old with the appetite of an adolescent gorilla. <laughs> and some of you who have like been through the little kid phase, you know that there's some games that you really only get to play when you have toddlers in the house. Games like what's that smell? <laughs> or where did you hide my keys? <laughs> or is that a chocolate smudge on your pants? Or is that, <laughs> yeah, you, you know where I'm going, right? Super fun, okay? And my personal favorite game, though, is hide and seek. And hide and go seek in the Proctor house looks something like this. All right, Judah, you go hide and daddy will come find you, okay? All right, here we go. And when I say hide, I mean that very loosely because Judah, he's like barely two years old, so he doesn't really like being alone in a room in a house for very long by himself, that whole thing. So it kind of goes like this. All right, Judah, you go hide. I'm gonna turn around and count and then I'll come find you. Okay, ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here we come. And, and, and Judah, like I turn around and he's like basically standing in plain sight. He's like maybe like hiding behind the lamp or something, right? He's like peeking out and he's like, it's, he, 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 he kind of, he like doesn't want to actually be hidden. He more like wants to be found. And the whole game is kind of a sham because I have to pretend like I don't see him, right? It's not really the real thing. So I'm wandering around like, Judah, where are you? Mommy, have you seen Judah? He's a really good hider, Judah. Are you under the bed? Judah, are you in the fridge? I can't find him. And by this point, Judah, he's like, he's like jumping up and down. He's like, Daddy, you're so bad at this game. Like, I'm right here, you know? And, and it's a fun game, and we call it hide and seek, but it's not really hide and seek, right? It's more like he stands in plain sight, and I pretend to seek. And, and sometimes I, I think that we're a lot like that. Because sometimes, if we're not careful, I think that we think that, like, you got to, like, go seek after God. Like, he's really hard to find. When the whole time, God's closer than you think. But, but we treat it like you can only find him if you're disciplined enough and spiritual enough and educated enough. And, 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 and you, have all the, you do all the right disciplines and you read all the right holy books and then you have to have this wonderful, spiritual, incredible light bulb enlightenment moment and then you can be one of the rare few who find God as if he's elusive, like he's the best hider ever, right? When really... God hides a lot like my son Judah hides. That if he's hiding at all, if you have to go after him at all, he's really just right in front of you and you just need to open your eyes. Uh, Steve reminded us of that this last week when, when he taught us that, that if you wanna look at God, you just gotta look at Jesus. If you wanna see God, you just gotta look at Jesus. And we're spending this month of January in the book of Colossians. And Colossians is this letter that's written by a guy named Paul to a little congregation that's facing some, some dangerous false teaching. And Steve told us last week that this false teaching is called Gnosticism. 
And one of the core aspects of Gnosticism was this belief that God is hidden and that you really have to go after him because there's like barrier after barrier after barrier between us and God. So you gotta work really hard to cross those barriers and go find him. And to get past all these barriers, you need like secret passwords and secret special knowledge. And and Jesus, I mean, Jesus is great, yeah, but he's really only the way past one of those barriers between us and God. And if you wanna really find God, then you need Jesus plus these dietary laws and and Jesus plus worshiping angels and Jesus plus these other religious ceremonial rites and Jesus plus all these other philosophical quests. There's a big word that describes what the Colossians were kind of facing and it describes our culture too, honestly. The word is syncretism. Perhaps you've heard it. It just means mixing And we see this all around. Yeah, sure, I'll take a little bit of Jesus. I'll take a little bit of karma, a little bit of a hedonistic sexual ethic. I'll take a little bit of Eastern mysticism. We'll throw it all in a blender, hit play, and then voila, out comes your own personal religion. Like like life is just this buffet where you can take and you can build your own religious framework, just how you want it. Nobody else can tell you what's true for you. And that's where we're at as a society right now. And often in conversation, it'll come across like, yeah, by all means, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. I like that. He's great for you. But, but I, I want something more. Because we're living in this great, wonderful age of enlightenment, right? Where we can alter the genetic makeup of plants and animals. And we have these supercomputers in our pockets. So surely we've graduated. Surely we've moved on. Surely we've outgrown this first century Galilean carpenter, haven't we? And Colossians is Paul's answer. Colossians is God's eternal resounding response that once and for all, Jesus is enough. That he always has been, is, and always will be the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to Colossians chapter one. That's where we're gonna be the whole month, Colossians one. And if you're, you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible to church, I think that'd be a great practice for you to get into this year. And uh, personally, something that's been helpful to me that I think could be helpful to you too is I think you should write in your Bible, take notes in your Bible. My Bible's full of chicken scratch and I love it. Just make your own little study Bible of what God's teaching you and, and take notes in there. Uh, there's those green pens on the chair right in front of you. They write really smooth. They're actually good pens. In fact, <laughs> those pens write so smooth, I've seen some of you steal them and use them around town. So God is watching you. Uh, use them in here, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can take notes on there. If you go to mypcc.info, there's a sermon notes tab. You can use that regardless. I think taking notes is a good thing here. If you've got your Bible open, I want you to write up next to the word Colossians, up there on the heading, I want you to write this phrase. A call to continue in Christ alone. This is what Colossians is. Colossians is a call to continue in Christ alone. That's the purpose of this letter. And and then beside that or beneath that, when you're done writing that, if you have some white space, I want you to write two little equations. And this is the basic math of Colossians. Two little equations. Jesus plus anything equals idolatry. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. Uh, one of my mentors, the guy, who, the guy who taught me that, he has a life motto, and he says it all the time. He says, what we always need most is a clearer vision of Jesus. 
What we always need most is a clearer vision of Jesus. And so this year, we're gonna be like every other preacher on the planet. We're gonna play off the 2020 theme, right? It only comes around once in world history. We're gonna take advantage of it. And, and so each month, we're gonna focus on getting a clearer vision of something. And we figured that there's no better way to start a decade or to start a day than by getting a clearer vision of the most important thing of all, Jesus himself. Because there's so many false ideas about who Jesus is, right? When Jesus asked his own disciples, hey, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, because it was true back then and it's still true today that some people just have some funky ideas about who Jesus is, right? Ask people, you'll, you'll figure this out pretty quickly. You've got therapist Jesus, who helps you cope with life's problems and he tells you not to feel so bad about yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. You've got open-minded Jesus who preaches the gospel of tolerance and tells us to tolerate everybody at all times except for the people who aren't open-minded. You've got, you've got touchdown Jesus who helps the Christian athletes run faster and jump higher than the non-Christian athletes, right? You've got Republican Jesus. He's for family values and firearms and he's against raising taxes. You've got Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart, and he's for saving the planet. <laughs> You've got hippie Jesus. He walks around barefoot, and he imagines a world without religion and says, all you need is love. You've got revolutionary Jesus. He teaches you to rebel against the status quo and stick it to the man, rage against the machine, right? And you've got gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's got these really high cheekbones and flowing hair, white robe, blue sash, kids on his lap. He looks very German, you know? <laughs> And then, then there's the true Jesus. As revealed in scripture, the son of God, who is not hiding as plain as day, and he refuses to fit into any of our boxes or be restrained by our opinions or regulated by our presuppositions. You see, what we always need most is a clearer vision of Jesus. So that when he asks, what about you? Who do you say that I am? we can reply with Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, there's over 250 names for Jesus in the Bible. We could talk about them forever, but this month we're looking at just four, four specific titles found in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. Last week, Steve taught us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And this week we're learning about how Jesus is the firstborn. So let's read this text out loud together, verses 15 through 20. Let's read it together. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
So if you noticed it there as we read, or if you've got the text open in front of you, you'll notice Jesus is actually called the firstborn twice in those verses that we just read, and in two different ways. First of all, he's called the firstborn over all creation. Now, I'm the firstborn in my family. I'm the oldest of six kids. Any other firstborns in the room today? Raise your hand. All right, you guys are my people. I like you guys, okay? I, I, uh, I actually read a legit study this week that says that firstborns do tend to be more ambitious and better leaders than their siblings, right? That's us, isn't it? Uh-huh, okay, yeah. Hey, don't get hurt feelings. No brag, just fact, okay? Um, my wife, Rebecca, though, she's the baby of the family. She's the youngest. Any other youngest kids in here today? All right, keep your hands up. Look around, people. These are the privileged few. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah, I'm not saying you're spoiled, but I'm saying you got everything you wanted, didn't you? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, look at this picture. This is how us firstborns feel about you. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad stepped on us to get to you. And I'm not bitter about it at all. <laughs> yeah. And if there's some middle children in the room, before you get your feelings all hurt, because we haven't mentioned you yet, your little middle kid complex, okay? My... Uh, my, my mom told the middle kids in our family, you guys are the white stuff in the Oreo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I told them they were just disappointing sequels. <laughs> That's beside the point. Back to the Bible. Okay. <laughs> the point is, firstborns carried a huge amount of significance in Jewish culture. It was the firstborn son, he got a double portion of the inheritance. He had tons of family responsibility. Your firstborn son was the sign that your family would live on, that your family name would go into the future, at least another generation. And and firstborn sons, they were a huge, huge deal. And and so over 150 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son, either just the son or the son of man or the son of God. And we see all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is a good firstborn. He does what a good firstborn son does. He's obedient to his father. He gives his father honor. He rules his father's estate. He secures the future of his father's family. He receives his father's inheritance. But but this title here of firstborn, it has a deeper meaning than just oldest child. If you flip back to the Old Testament, in Psalm 89, it's talking about David. It's a Psalm of David, and he's kind of having this interplay with God. Now, you might remember that God had made a promise to King David. He promised David that somebody from his family would sit on the throne forever, that he was gonna be the family of the kings. But then eventually, Israel gets conquered, and they don't have a king anymore. So what happened to the promise, God? And so Israel, they're waiting on this guy called the Messiah. The Messiah would be this deliverer from God who would come from David's family line, somebody who would restore the kingdom and sit on the throne. They're waiting on the Messiah. And in Psalm 89, God is talking here about both the Messiah and King David at the same time. Keep that in mind. Here's what he says about him. He says, I will appoint him to be my firstborn the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So that's talking about both David and the Messiah at the same time. But let's think about this, okay? If God is calling David the firstborn, think about it. David wasn't the firstborn in his family. David was the youngest of eight brothers, you might remember. In fact, David, he wasn't even the first king of Israel. Saul was. So if God is calling David the firstborn here, that must mean that this title, firstborn, means more than just oldest child or or first, right? In fact, this title of firstborn has less to do with time and more to do with status. It's a title of importance. 
So when Paul here calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation, he's not saying that Jesus was the first thing created. If you guys go downtown, you've seen the Jehovah's Witnesses downtown standing on the street corners with their pamphlets and their little flyers and having conversations with people. And if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they will tell you that they will tell you that Jesus was the first thing God created. He was the best thing that God made. He's the top thing in all of creation, but that he's not actually God himself. That's heresy. Jesus is not created. He is creator. That's what Steve's gonna be talking about next week. I think we can dive a little deeper, though, into this concept of Messiah and firstborn by looking at a parallel text here. If you go to Hebrews chapter one, it actually sounds a lot like Colossians chapter one. We'll read verses one through six here. Hebrews one says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So pause right there. This already sounds like Colossians 1. He's saying that uh, if you want to hear God, listen to Jesus. Sounds like Colossians 1. He's saying that the son is the heir of his father's inheritance. Sounds like Jesus must be the firstborn. He says that the son is through whom God created the universe. So he's the creator. Goes on. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That sounds like what we learned last week from Colossians 1, that the sun is the image of the invisible God who holds all things together. It goes on, it says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This means that Jesus is sitting on his throne right now. So this title that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation means that Jesus is the Messiah King that we just read about in Psalm 89. That he is the King over all creation. He is over it all. And we see this as as Hebrews 1 goes on. It says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I'll become his father and he'll be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So Jesus as firstborn means that Jesus is king. Kanye got it right, right? (laughs) Now, if that's true, if Jesus is the king, if if he's the top dog, if he is over all of creation, then that means that we can make a list of everything in the universe. You can make a list with with every government and every Fortune 500 company, every natural disaster, every solar system, every species of plant and animal, every terrorist group, every social media platform, every influential person, every disease, everything in the entire universe, make a list. And then at the title of that list, you could write the heading, things that fall under the authority of King Jesus. It's all under him. As Paul would go on to say in the next chapter, Colossians 2, verse 10, he says, he is the head over every power and authority. That means that when you follow King Jesus, you are working with the grain of the universe because he is the firstborn over all creation. But that's not the only time he's called the firstborn here, right? We read it. Paul says in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
Now, if you are taking notes and marking in your Bibles, you can make a mark right here between verses 17 and 18, because this paragraph that we're spending our time in can be pretty cleanly divided into two halves. The first half is all about creation, and the second half is all about redemption. The first half is all about how Jesus is king over creation, and the second half is about how Jesus is king over the new creation. You could write it like this in your Bibles. Next to verses 15 through 17, you could write, Jesus made it all. And next to verses 18 through 20, you could write, Jesus paid it all. Uh, perhaps you've heard the old preacher's story of the little boy who got into his dad's wood shop and he spent hours laboring over this little block of wood until he fashioned it into a beautiful toy boat. And every day this little boy would go down to the stream to sail his toy boat there along the shore and until one day a gust of wind came up and blew the boat out of his reach. And, and desperate, the little boy waded into the water going after his boat, but, but the wind just blew it right out of his grasp, on downstream, out of sight, it was gone. And the little boy went home brokenhearted. Well, a while later, the little boy was trudging home from school one day when he just happened to glance up into the window of a pawn shop and lo and behold, there was his toy boat. So the little boy, he, he went inside the pawn shop and he shouted, that, that, that's my boat, that's my boat. And the owner of the pawn shop said, no, son, that's my boat. <laughs> if you want it, you're gonna have to buy it. And so the little boy went home and for the next few weeks, he did every odd job he could find. He raked leaves and mowed lawns and he washed cars until finally he'd saved enough money to buy back his toy boat. And so, so he went to the pawn shop and he dumped his piggy bank out right there on the counter and the store owner counted all the money to make sure it was all there and then went over to the shelf, got the boat and handed it to the little boy. And as the little boy walked out of the pawn shop with a big old smile on his face, the store owner heard him say, little boat, now you're twice mine. First I made you and now I bought you. And the same is true of us. That Jesus is our king, and we are twice his. Colossians 1 says that, that, that Jesus made us first. He's the firstborn over all creation through whom God made all things. And then he bought us. He's the firstborn from among the dead through whom God is redeeming all things with his blood. But think about it. If he's the firstborn from among the dead, that doesn't mean that he was the first person to rise from the dead, because he wasn't, Right? The prophet Elijah raised the little boy to life and uh, Jesus himself raised several people from the dead. But the thing is with those people, they all had to die again sometime. They kind of got a bum deal in my opinion. <laughs> but Jesus was the first person to raise from the dead never to die again. Paul says here in verse 18, he says he is the beginning. That Greek word can also mean he's the ruler or he's the founder so what is Jesus the beginning of, the ruler of, the founder of? He's the beginning, the ruler, and the founder of this resurrection life that he is now living in heaven and that we're gonna get to live with him someday. Jesus says it like this in Revelation chapter one. He says it himself. He says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So because Jesus is alive, we have the hope of resurrection life too. Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, because I live, you also will live. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus's resurrection is like a down payment. Okay, if you go buy a car for $10,000, it's a $10,000 car, you put $1,000 down. 
that $1,000 is the guarantee that the other $9,000 is coming. And in the same way, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee. It's the down payment that our resurrection will soon follow. He's the first fruits. He's the firstborn from among the dead. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. So here's the point of it all, okay? Here's what I want you to remember. Steve had some great visuals last week. I'm just trying to live up to them. Mine are not as good, okay? So low expectations, okay? Um, but, but here's the point of it all. Jesus is, you guys wanna see what's under here? Wanna see what's under here? Okay, drum roll, please. Drum roll, all right, thank you. Jesus is, da, 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 da. Any guesses? Jesus is pizza, not quite. Okay, Jesus is, only one service has gotten it. Jesus is, Mm, I haven't heard it yet. You get it? Okay, Jesus is supreme. Well done. Okay. That is cheesy, man. Some might say I'm a ham. Don't get crusty. Don't get saucy. You're all groaning now. I'll stop. Okay, all right. I know this is silly, but here's the deal. Sometime later on this week or two months from now, when you're starting to doubt or you're starting to worry or you're in a conflict with somebody or you're making your budget, I want you to remember this silly little pizza and I want you to remember that King Jesus is supreme. In verse 18, Paul says that he is the firstborn from among the dead so that in all things he might have the what? Supremacy. Jesus is supreme over everything. I mean, just look in these verses that we read. Look how many times we see the word all. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together so that in everything he might have the supremacy. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus is supreme over everything. He is supreme over any attack from Satan to try to disqualify you. He is supreme over any lingering shame from your sin that shackles your soul. He is supreme over any disease that racks your body. He is supreme over any lingering anxiety about your present or uncertainty about your future. And Jesus deserves to be supreme in your finances. And Jesus deserves to be supreme in your marriage and supreme in your work and supreme in your free time and supreme in your love life, supreme in your prayer life, supreme in how you forgive those who hurt you, supreme in how you set your goals for this next year, supreme in how you witness to your neighbors. Paul says that Jesus is before all things, which then means that no thing should come before him because Jesus has died and now he is alive. God has set him on the throne and he is the king of heaven. Therefore, God has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the king supreme. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old preacher uh, by the name of S.M. Lockridge, and he preached a great sermon one time on the supremacy of King Jesus. And I was gonna try to preach it for you today, uh, but I'm just not as good as he is, so take a look. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He 
the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus is the king. So let me just ask you the question. Do you know him? Do you know him? I mean, do you know him? And if the answer is no, then don't walk out those doors without getting to know him today. You can do it. You can come talk to Steve or I. You can always go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism tab. We'll set up a time to talk to you. You can find somebody in a blue t-shirt. They'll point you the right direction. You can go to the Connection Center. But don't leave here today without getting to know him. He's the king, and you can surrender to him today. Now, I hope that most of you in this room would answer that question, yes. Yes, I do know him. Yes, I have surrendered to him. Yes, I do believe that he is the Lord and that he is the king and that he is supreme. And if that's true, then I want to just make sure that you don't make the same mistake that the Colossians were in danger of making. Because these false teachers, they didn't deny Jesus. They just dethroned him. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is great, but, but, but we want something more. But listen... Here's what I want you to know today. Because Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. 
Jesus is the only way to forever life in heaven and he is the only way to fulfilling life here on earth. Jesus is the answer. The answer to your salvation, to your hope, to your joy, to your peace, to your purpose, to your pain, the answer is Jesus. It has always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It will never stop being Jesus. You never need to go past him or beyond him. You never need to graduate from his grace. Jesus is enough. Because he is supreme, he is sufficient. And we come to this time every week where we take communion and praise God, we remind ourselves of that beautiful truth. And we take this bread and we take this juice and we remember his body and his blood. We remember his death that purchased our salvation. But we also remember his life, his resurrection that has guaranteed a resurrection for all of us who follow him. We remember that because he is supreme, he is sufficient. He's enough. He's all we need. He is the king. The message that the world is going to preach to you over and over and over again is you can do it. But the message of scripture is that Jesus has already done it. Let's pray. King of heaven. We come here and at this time we remember every week that we don't have what it takes. That we have failed over and over and over again. That we are powerless to save ourselves. And yet we are here again and we acknowledge your supremacy that you are Lord over all and that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that you are indeed the king. And until that day, we thank you that you are sufficient, you are enough, you are all that we need. We love you. In your, your powerful name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.